This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Queen City Nerves News Hounds Podcast. I am Ryan Pitkin. I got Justin LaFrancois here with me. Yeah, I was uh, here for the last one. It was the last yeah, one. Yeah, it's two in a row. No. No, I no. didn't come for that. Two out of three. But today's a special episode because I want to wish everybody out there a happy opening day. My favorite holiday of the year. Uh, by the time... This the only one that we take off work. It is. It literally is <laughs> the one that we take off work for. Uh Thursday afternoon, we'll be out. We won't tell you where because we don't like all of you. But uh, <laughs> we'll be watching the game somewhere. And nice stuff. in celebration of opening day, we have a special guest here with us. Former Major League pitcher, founder of Carolina Metro Reds organization here in Charlotte, co-founder of the more recently formed Not Whole Foundation. What's going on, Morris Madden? Everything's good. Everybody, everybody wants to say hello and how you doing. And uh, hopefully you guys can come out into the opening day of the Carolinas Metro Reds this Saturday. Oh, nice. That's this Saturday at the Tuckasee, or Stick Williams Dreamfields. Yeah, 9 o'clock. Every, uh, festivities start at 9, and we'll have some t-ball action, and uh, we'll have a little Easter egg hunt after that, so come nice. out and have some fun. So 9 a.m. 9 a.m., <laughs> yes, yeah. sir. Is that when the game starts, or when's first pitch? First pitch is at 10. Okay. Okay. I am actually going to be at baseball tryouts at 10 a.m., so maybe I'll come after. Justin's getting back into it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What tryouts? I'm trying out for an adult uh, fast-pitch baseball league. Okay. Yeah, Charlotte Adult Baseball League. Yeah, I know the – I think he's the vice president. His name is Jermaine Sutton. Okay. Yeah, I just – I tried out for the 25-plus league last Saturday, mm-hmm. and I really knocked some cobwebs off. So I'm going to try out for the 18-plus this Saturday just in case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what position? Uh, third base. Oh, a hot corner. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love it over there. I like playing the left side of the field. Make sure you bring your jock. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling before we got on the mics that I was I was a, a Little League AAU player. Took it semi-seriously. I was more of a basketball player, but I really did uh, – play a lot of baseball but it was right on time that the curveball and the movement started oh yeah oh and yeah that, uh, I, that runs away at, a few people yeah it comes out of middle school you get into high school and people start really pitching pitching and you're like yeah i think i'll play basketball <laughs> yeah yeah uh, when i first started uh we're, we're really going off here but yeah. i just want to talk <laughs> hey, about this it. is a baseball podcast if uh yeah. When I was when I was real real young, just fresh out of t-ball, I wouldn't swing at the ball at all. I would jump completely out of the batter's box every time. I just assumed it was going to hit me. Right. <laughs> and then uh, that went away when I took my first swing, and it was a home run. And then at the same age that you're talking about, the first curveball I had thrown at me was down. The next time I jumped out of the yeah, batter's box, you just want to fall over. <laughs> <laughs> and it was right over the heart of the plate. <laughs> So uh, you just mentioned opening day for Carolina Metro Reds. Just last Friday, uh, we were at I, I attended the uh, opening day grand reopening yep. rebranding of yep. Tuckasegee Dreamfields, where Carolina Metro Reds have played for some time, but have just been sort of reinvigorated, renovated into the Stick Williams Dreamfields. Congrats on a great event, by the oh, way. Oh man, that was great. So I appreciate you guys coming out. And there just is being a, a part of it. There is a certain. I got to meet up with you at the fields earlier than that when I wrote the story leading into this whole thing about Not Whole Foundation, but one thing I didn't get to know in that interview that you just sort of broke out on Friday, <laughs> I know you know what I'm about to say, sang yeah, the yeah. national anthem, uh, yeah, yeah. he's got a talent for it. That was uh, that was Memorex, it wasn't me. Oh, that wasn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was me. Okay, I thought so. 
Uh, he was up in the press box, so you didn't have to look at everybody while you were doing it. Oh yeah, that's right. But uh, oh, at the at the at the oh, game at the, that you were just at, right? Yeah, yeah. at the Queens uh, Queens baseball. I don't think it was the opener, was it? Uh, no, it was just because uh, they've played games. Just a commemoration before. game. Right, right. You know? um, I get to I get to do it again though. Yeah, you did an amazing job. I, I'm doing it at Truist on uh, April the fifteenth for oh, nice. uh, yeah, the Negro League day. Okay, they're having there. Awesome. I do it oh, now. they're having one? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. they did it last year because that was when David Butler created that hat mm-hmm. the HBCU. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a sick hat. Um, mm. So, man, let's just get into it, man. You, uh, We'll start from the beginning with you. Well, not the beginning, beginning, but <laughs> with your major league career. I mean, where, where did you grow up at? I grew up in Lawrence, South Carolina. It's a little town uh, about 30 miles south of uh, Greenville, South Carolina. 60 miles north of Columbia. Um, grew up there until the age of uh, 18, and I went to Spartanburg Methodist College after that and uh, played there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And how do, you build a, how do you build a name up to the point where MLB scouts are seeing you from coming from a rural town to a little-known college like that? Well, the coach at Spartanburg Methodist College at that time was a guy named Lon Joyce, who is a legendary major league scout now he just well, passed, he passed away recently mm-hmm. oh. but um the school has always been known for baseball actually mookie wilson played there mm. and a few other guys that played in the major leagues but um scouts are normally in and out of there so i was fortunate enough to uh pitch one day against a college that was called at that time uh decab junior college and they were like number five in the nation at the time and we were unranked uh, I happened to have a good game, be pitching. They uh, they came there to see someone else, and I happened to be pitching that day. I was just in the right place at the right time, and um, they started following me after that. So after that season was over with, uh, I was told that uh, as a possibility that I'd get drafted. Mm-hmm. And how early was it in life that you sort of decided, you know, I think a lot of kids uh, want to play professional sports, be it whatever they're passionate about growing up. And some of them, mm-hmm. 99% of them hit a wall where they say, Oh, this isn't going to happen. Right. But I mean, at what point did you realize this could happen for me? Like I'm, I can do this. Yeah. Probably up to when it happened. Right. Because I, I, well, I'm going to be frank with you. There was, um, one of my friends that was in high school that we both played together. We're both left-handed pitchers. And, um, right out of high school, he signed as a free, free agent, with the uh, with the Braves, and I, I went on to Spartanburg Methodist, and he would call me all the time and say, "Hey man, you can pitch here. You know, it's nothing different." Blah 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 blah. So when the opportunity came, I took advantage of it and went ahead and did it. Right, that's really yeah. cool to have that sort of. He wasn't just calling to be like, ah, "I made it." <laughs> he was calling to lift you up, yeah, and let yeah. you know that your talent level was on that was on that level. That's right, and it was it was really cool, man, just to see. Uh, and just to have a barometer, you know, I, I, pl- I played with him my whole life, and uh, I knew I was just as good as he was. And um, but when he gave me the confirmation that I could do it, then it just you know gave me all kind of confidence. Yeah, that's a nice way to take a lot of the nerves out of it. For oh yeah, sure. for sure. And just unsurety of you know that you've got someone who played with you your whole life saying, yeah, these people, you're on these people's level. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this was – what was what was the year that you got that call? 19, you know, to the big leagues or, yeah, big or leagues. just drafted? Oh, well, I guess we'll start with drafted. You're drafted, drafted what was year? 1979. Okay. Um, and I got called to the big leagues in 1986. 
seven mm-hmm. with the Tigers. Right. And that's such a different thing than some other leagues that folks are used to in football and basketball where it's draft. Maybe four years of college, you could build your name there and then yeah. drafted. Yeah. Possibly ride the bench, maybe a summer league or something. But baseball is like you work it out in yeah. the minors for a long time. That, yeah. Yeah. What is, <laughs> what is that process like? I mean, just in terms of. It's really hard. Really I mean, having to believe. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the hardest things I've done in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to the point where even when I got drafted, I got a real meager bonus. And um, I was making $600 a month my first year. I was in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. I had never flown on a plane before. And, you know, making $600 a month and then having to pay 200 of that for rent and board and all that, you got $400 a month to live off. Mm-hmm. And it was tough, you know, in Canada. And I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me. And it was just tough. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's those living conditions, like you said, $600 a month. I mean, people don't really know... Uh, there's been a little bit of progress in it with literally within the last year or two, but minor league pay and living conditions are are tough. Yes, real rough. Yes. And I, I did it for um, seven, eight years before I even got an opportunity to play in the big league. So mm-hmm. uh, perseverance was a good thing for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And what was it like for you to come up and play on that level? Is there a, on the majors? Is there a big difference? Well, I tell you a story. First day. I was in uh, Toledo, Ohio, and I got the call. Uh, the trainer said, Madden, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. you got to be in Detroit by 2 o'clock. I'm going to take you there. So I didn't have a chance to do anything, pack a few things, jump in the car. We went there. I got there at 2 o'clock. No lunch and nothing. So I'm in this place called the Ponce Train Hotel, and I ordered a uh, ham sandwich and a Coke and went to the park. Did what I had to do there. Did a little interview there. There's two sides to this coin. When I got back to the hotel, I had a bill for $30 for that ham sandwich and a Coke. Mm-hmm. And that was realization that, hey, you're in the big leagues now, buddy. <laughs> but but when I got to the park the next day, I did a short interview the day before and got to the park the next day and I had a check in my locker for $600 for that interview. So it was it was a reward. For a media interview? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Well, I I just want to let you know right now, there's not going to be any checks paid <laughs> for this one. I'm expecting at least six hundred. Right, <laughs> that's uh, a month's salary. <laughs> Got to get it put together. Yeah, right. That's an expensive ham sandwich. Yes, yes you sir. can't even find a sandwich worth that much. Well, you can probably. And for eighty-seven, like <laughs> dang, wow, it yeah, was, it was it was an eye opener. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I I did a story one time about with a couple of. Uh, Dudes who played on the Charlotte Checkers, mm-hmm. and they were they had been called up earlier that year uh, to fill in for some injuries and whatnot, and they were really hype about it. But the way they described it, and obviously hockey is very different sport uh, than baseball, but the way they described it was sort of like as soon as you get on the ice, it's just like you're playing at our at the Checkers level, but it's like somebody press fast forward. Is would, wow. does that make sense to you on that yes, baseball does. level? Yes, it does. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you come out of that tunnel and you see. The ambiance is just so much different. Um, I'm used to 1,600, 2,000 people being in the game, and you come out of that tunnel, and then you got 30,000 there, you know. Right. And, and you're in a situation where there's no warm-up. You're going to be thrown into the to the heat and uh, see what you can do. Right. So. Absolutely. So we spoke a little bit about um, 
we had a, a great talk, and that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because it couldn't all fit into the story that I wrote right. about Knothole, but I wanted to really get into some of it, just about your career after baseball and, okay. and how you came about with um, with creating Carolina Metro Reds, which is a really interesting story that uh, almost a silver lining to a really bad story <laughs> in a house fire that you uh, that yeah. you experienced. Yeah. What, what, what when did at what point did you? Moved to Charlotte. We'll start there. I moved to Charlotte in 2000. Okay. Last year we moved here. Um, I had to make a change. We were in Lawrence, and I was regressing. I wasn't progressing. So there was an opportunity came here in Charlotte, and I'd ask my wife. I said, now we've been here all our lives with deception after traveling for baseball. Do you want to relocate? And she was like, sure, let's do it. Mm-hmm. You know, at that time I was 30 years old. We had one child. And uh, we decided to come on up here. So, actually, 40 years old, yeah. Mm. I was 40 at that time. 40. And we came on up here and um, started a new life here. Um, bought a house in 2003. Uh, 2006, house was hit by lightning. And we had to move out for about six months. And during that period was pretty much the birth of the uh, Carolina's Metro Reds because of the fact that I forgot the name of the company, but there was a cleaning company that cleans your clothes and everything from smoke and all that good stuff. So we went to visit them. And right next door to that place was a place called HQ4, which is the headquarters for baseball. And this was off of Shopton, I think you told me? That's correct. Off in Southwest? That's correct. Owners was uh, Marty Barker, and uh, he happened to be there that day. I, I told my wife, I want to go in there and see what's going on. So we went in there, and uh, he asked me, my background and everything, and he was very excited about having and, and asked me to become an instructor there. Uh, I had a full-time job, but baseball is my love, so I decided to go ahead and give it a shot, and that was uh, pretty much the beginning of mm-hmm. Carolina's Metro Reds. I don't want to make the story too long, but um, a couple years after that, Marty had formulated a Metro League, uh, Metro League that serviced uh, sophomores and freshmen trying to get them ready for uh, varsity baseball. And Marty had a, uh, a brain aneurysm, brain tumor, and he decided that, well, there was no decision. He just couldn't continue. Mm-hmm. And so the league was going to fold, and I noticed that there was a lot of African-American kids in the league that couldn't afford to play anywhere else. So I said, I'm going to continue with this thing one way or the other. So I talked to my wife about it again. She said, well, that's something you need to do to give back. And so we, and that's when the Carolina's Metro Reds started at that point, and we became a nonprofit in 2011. Mm-hmm. And that's something we haven't actually mentioned yet, but is is the uh, the foundation for every, all the work that you do in baseball. It's mm-hmm. sort of there's a certain turning in the tide at some point around the turn of the century where baseball became a different than it used to be. And a lot of low-income kids weren't able to get the same access right. as folks. It turned into a sort of a club sport, as right. you can say. Right. Um, now, when you're growing up in a rural town in South Carolina, did you have access to leagues? Were you just able to play? Everybody played in uh, mm-hmm. Dixie Youth Baseball. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody. I mean, anybody that I knew in my neighborhood or I went to school with, Everybody played, mm-hmm. and um, it was very inexpensive. Um, most of the um, the teams were sponsored by businesses, like um, right. You get them on the back of your jersey. That's, that's correct. Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was a big thing in Lawrence because but Lawrence is long, known for baseball. It was 
always has been a baseball town. Mm-hmm. That's how it was where I grew up, too. It was every single kid, mm-hmm. in every grade, in every surrounding town. I played on Dunn Builder Supply. That was the name of our baseball <laughs> team the whole time. Now, where are you from, originally? I'm from Catskill, New York. Catskill? Yeah. Okay, okay. So all the little, all the little uh, foothill towns up there, everybody had their leagues and teams, and we'd travel and play each other and... Yeah, but it was everybody. That's yeah. No yeah, other sports. Right. It wasn't a lot of football. Not a lot of basketball or anything like that. Absolutely. I I played. Now there was plenty of basketball here, but I played in U- University City, UCAA, and uh, I do remember the similar thing to where you're going to school. I went to Mallard Creek Elementary, and and you're talking about the weekends games because they were all the boys were in the league and playing each other. Um, now you got back. In, were you involved with baseball post MLB retirement? In between the time of moving to Charlotte, or yes, were you, okay, yes, I um, I took a little hiatus because I was really disgruntled. Okay, when I finished, um, how so? I finished in 1990 was my last year playing, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> got released by the Dodgers, and I went to spring training with the Pirates, and got released out of spring training. Well, they, I didn't get released. They gave me an option. They asked me, um, would you want to go to Mexico and play in, the, in, in that league in the summer and come back up at the end of the year and possibly play um, with the Pirates or you do it in AAA? And at that point, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I got a, I got a seven-year-old daughter and... Uh, it sounds hot. to do something else. Sounds hot to play in Mexico wow. for the summer. Well, you know, that's 17-hour bus trips and right. water and, no, I, yeah. just, I didn't want to go through all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, after about two years of just drowning my tears, mm-hmm. I decided that uh, I need to get back out there. So there was a kid that lived around the street from me. Uh, his name is Charles Peterson, and he was in high school, and he asked me, he said, Coach, I need you to come help your high school team. And that's how I got back into coaching baseball. Now, this kid was different. This kid was the number one pick for the Pirates out of high school. Mm. He was awesome. And he also had an opportunity to play football at Clemson University. He was an all-state wide receiver. He's a good basketball player. And he was all-American baseball player. He was special. Mm-hmm. So I got back into it through him. And uh, he went on and played with the Pirates. He got drafted number one, uh, got hurt, and got out of the game, became a scout. Mm. And he passed away from COVID a couple years ago. Oh, but no. that's, uh, that's basically how I got back into it. Mm. And uh, through the 90s, I did some coaching in high school and the American Legion and all that. Then when I got here, uh, I didn't start back coaching until 2006. So I took another five, six-year hiatus. Right. Do you love podcasts? You're listening to one right now, so we're going to say you do. You know what makes podcast listening better? A really great set of earbuds nestled snugly into your appropriate head holes. You could win a really great set of earbuds courtesy of the Queen City Podcast Network. A set of Bose noise-canceling quiet comfort earbuds, a $200 value, could be all yours. And all you have to do is sign up to receive the Queen City Podcast Network email newsletter at queencitypodcastnetwork.com between now and April 16th, 2023. You heard me. 
Sign up to receive a twice-weekly email about all the latest Queen City Podcast Network releases. And you're entered in a drawing where you could win the earbuds of a lifetime. The rules are published at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. That's also where you sign up for the drawing. queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Your ticket to great listening with a great set of earbuds. When is it that you sort of um, started to notice a uh, drop-off? And I mean, we're reaching a point now where I believe the number Shafe gave me, and we'll give a shout-out to Jeff Schaefer as your co-founder yeah. at Knothole, yeah. and we'll talk about Knothole sort of coming together uh, here shortly. But what he had told me was 3% of all college uh, rosters right now, or 3, 3% are black players, mm-hmm. uh, and what's around 7% of major league rosters. That's that's the biggest. That's if you put it in a nutshell, that's the gist behind Carolina's Metro Reds. We right. want to give them, we want to give our kids an opportunity to play on the same level or, or some of the same stages that other people that can afford or has the resources to do it mm-hmm. uh, do. And 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 we we take them to four different tournaments uh, every summer. Uh, all the tournaments need to be a, an opportunity for them to get some major exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Jeff is right. You know, when he and I played, um, it was nineteen to twenty percent African American in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. It's doing it down to like six percent in the big leagues now. And there's also in the colleges like three percent. So our kids were either being priced out or were losing interest. So I'm right. gonna tell you a quick story about um the Reds. We were fortunate enough to take uh some kids to Kansas City a couple of years ago and when we got there, we won the whole thing, but that's not what they talked about. What they talked about was when we visited the Negro League Hall of Fame and what they found out about that. And also, uh, it was some of them's first time ever riding on a plane, and that's what they talked about. And the, the good thing about that whole trip was that they found out the history, the importance it is in our culture to play baseball. It's not Basketball has not been king all of the time, or football. Baseball was the biggest thing in in the uh, in the thirties, it was a third most lucrative job to have for an African American person. Uh, they saw where Satchel Paige owned his own team; he had his own airplane. They saw that there was women of color that played in the uh, in the Negro League. So it was a lot. It was a big learning experience for them, and they learned to appreciate it more. Right, but all from that trip. And I should correct myself that, what, as you said, I was referring to African American percentages because there are plenty of Afro Latino players that correct. Do, have higher numbers, but um, mm-hmm. just in terms of, did you notice that in your time, sort of off and on in the '90s, yes. like a, that drop off occurring in real time? Yes, yes. I mean, it just seems that it just got so expensive to play. I mean, the bats mm-hmm. were so expensive. Right. I, I remember when that started happening wow. too, because I was in it. Yeah, it's, it, it's, all of it is, yeah. and you have to get so many things, and the whole uniform, and the gloves, and the cleats, and the cups. Exactly. And the, Justin's in it right it. now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm. That's all. Uh, it's on lease, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, how much does a bat cost now? I'm mean, brand new bat. A brand new wooden bat is like a hundred and forty dollars. Oh, if but, it's going to oh. be worth playing in a game, an aluminum bat, uh, they're roughly the same price. Those are. Mm-hmm. I mean, for an for an adult size aluminum bat, they're they're ninety plus. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is still that's so much because it's the same price for a youth bat too. Right. Okay. And a glove worth having is 
uh, closer to a hundred dollars than it mm. is to not. And right, that's <clears throat> crazy compared to what it used to be. Molded, yeah. I remember the are, bats. Molded cleats are still pretty cheap, so mm-hmm. that's not bad. I remember the bats are already getting expensive when I was a kid. Because I never was one of the kids who got to buy his own. I just swung yeah. one of the team bets. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, gloves were never used to be a hundred dollars. I know that. But um, yeah. So I mean, what what was the experience like for you? I mean, sort of building on what you just said about that trip to the not only winning the championship but getting to see that Negro Leagues Museum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what other what other aspects did you feel were important to include in Carolina Metro Reds? Just because I know that you guys aren't. It's it is like you just mentioned more of a it's a community builder it's a yes it's a it's almost a mentorship program from it is described it, it is basically um, there's a whole lot more to it than baseball and in fact it's it's not about baseball it's about building young men and it's hopefully in the very near future it'll be about building young women as well um, what we do is we cater to kids from the ages of four to eighteen. Uh, from the age of four to the sixth grade, the biggest thing for us is to make sure that all of the kids are reading on grade level. Because um, we know if they're not reading on grade level by the third grade, there's going to be some problems. It's just statistically shown that. So we got to make we got to do assessments with our kids to make sure that they're reading on grade level. We're not doing anything special, nothing new. We just follow a playbook or read Charlotte mm-hmm. to make sure that, and we do these assessments with the kids to uh, enhance their reading or create an interest in reading now that it's such a, a, micro, a microwave world where you pick up a phone mm-hmm. and then you try to find everything you can find. Mm-hmm. But uh, let, let's, let's do some, some real literature. Let's go read some books right. and do some book reports you know, so that um, these kids understand that even though you can read it, can you conceive it? Can you tell me what you read after you read it? And those are the things we try to do with them. But after that, when they're 12 and 13 years old is when we start our STEM program to introduce them to that uh, world. And then when they're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, we, do, we start to really do a deep dive with our kids to find out what their aspirations are, what they want to be. Um, and if, and if uh, we try to give all the resources that, that we can to give them to get to where they need to be. And say for instance, one wants to be a policeman. I think I talked to you about this, mm-hmm. but... If they want to be a policeman at the age of 15, we will partner with CMPD and ask them, hey, can this kid come down to see the day in the life of a policeman? And that kid goes down. He stays with a policeman for a day. Sometimes we're going to stake out, that kind of thing like that. Sort of like a ride-along, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they um, actually come back and say, okay, well, this is what I want to do. So that's when we start pushing all kind of resources towards them to make sure that they get to where they want to be by the time they're 18. Uh, and we've had some that backfire. You know, there was one kid said he wanted to be in forensics. Mm-hmm. So we took him down there, and he came back. He said, no, that's not what I want to right. do. I just <laughs> seen a crime scene for the first yeah. time, and no yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, so how did you all end up, before we talk about how Knothole ended up with this huge project on their hands, you guys have been at the, those fields, what is now the Stick, Stick yeah. Williams Fields. Yeah. You guys have been there for quite some time. How did you end up there? Because it was... There was nothing there. Well, the well there was, but yeah, yeah, I'll let you tell it. <laughs> yeah, the Reds were uh, pretty nomadic for a few years because we just couldn't find a place to play uh, on a regular basis. Uh, we went out to Albemarle Road Middle School. We were at um, a couple other schools out that way. And uh, finally, we ran across an opportunity with the um, 
West Mecklenburg Optimus Club. And they showed us the fields. The fields were in disarray. They were just up to my waist. Grass was that high. Mm -hmm. And they just said, listen, this place used to be flourishing with kids. We had up to 500 kids at one time. They had football. They had uh, boxing. They had baseball and all kind of activity out there year-round. And it had good bones, good bone structure. But it's just nobody was playing there anymore, and the the group was getting older. So finally they said, well, Morris, if you just get these fields in playable condition and keep kids coming out here, we will rent it to you for a dollar a year. So we got together, and we got a couple fields in the playable condition, and uh, we started playing out there around 2014 or so. And have you had you already known Jeff by then? I played against Jeff. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't I didn't know him well, but I knew enough about him to know that um, he's kind of doing the same thing. Right. He had started. What is what is his foundation called? Is You Deserve a Chance Foundation? Right. UDACF. Mm-hmm. And when did you guys start discussing a partnership that turned into Naho? We uh, we kind of joked around, talked about it for a while, and. Um, we had some ties with Major League Baseball, hoping that they could help us. So we convened one day, and we got it on a napkin when we were going to do a $300,000 facelift to the park that was out there. That blossomed to a $7.5 million project, and we got right. an opportunity. <laughs> we got an opportunity to purchase it and um, do what we can do, and it was something that was most people say, you guys are crazy for trying to tra- take on that concept, but so far we've done it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful field. Justin came out there with me the day that... Oh, yeah, the, the whole place is amazing. Right. Oh, yeah. Huge, I mean, great facilities back behind the behind the main field for Queens baseball. Uh, Queens played a big role in sort of making this come to fruition, right? Because they just entered Division One and needed a, needed a park. They um, actually, they leased from us. Okay. Um, Jack McDowell was the head coach in the beginning when they first started baseball. They started out as a club sport, and Jack was looking for a place to play. He was um, good friends with Jeff, and it all just came together. Mm-hmm. Um, we're building this place out here. You guys help us get there. Uh, you can lease it from us at a very good price. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's a, it's very it's very similar to the programming educational wise that you were just discussing for CMR. Correct. Uh, so, I don't want to make you just re go over all the education yeah, stuff yeah. that you were just talking about. But what was the real goal, other than the obvious the renovation project of the field itself? But as far as Not Whole Foundation itself, what did you guys set as a goal to make it worth um, merging your two organizations, which still exist mm-hmm. separately? But making not whole and sort of merging your two interests, and in, in what did you want to accomplish with that beyond the field renovation? What we wanted to do was want to make uh, base. It was a baseball desert on the west side, um, and we want to be like the baseball YMCA on the west side. I mean, because we're encompassing so many things. Um, not whole is like Carolina's Metro Reds on steroids. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's there's so much programming and. Uh, so many things that we're trying to improve on on the west side, and then going beyond that, uh, in service the whole service all of Mecklenburg County. 
but uh, the programming piece is pretty much the same, except it's bigger and stronger and faster. And mm-hmm. it's like the yeah. uh, the athlete of old versus the athlete of today. Mm-hmm. You know, they're bigger, stronger, faster, even though we were better. So right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it seems like some big organizations have have stepped in. You did end up getting some funding from MLB, correct? Yes, yes, they started the whole thing. Um, they the, the small field you see when you first come in. Uh, they built that along with the uh, infrastructure where. Everything underground that people don't see, but that was a half a million dollars there. So, mm-hmm. and they they gave most of that. And those recent lights on the main field are from the knights. Yes, the knights were uh, gracious enough to donate those lights to us. Mm-hmm. So, I don't. I hate to do the cliche thing and and say what's next. You know that we do to like artists when they just release an album <laughs> or a book that they worked a year on, and you say, "Well, now what?" Yeah. And you guys are still working on the Stick Williams Field. There's still stuff to be done. The, the yes. entrance, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, that's going to be really cool. We got so much stuff in in plans that um, we have to just prioritize prioritize a listing and see what right. the funding comes about to. What are some of your dreams long term in terms of what you want to write on? the napkin today uh, league play is the big thing for me mm-hmm. um, I want to see leagues for every kid from the age of 4 to 18 out there consistently um, I know we got competitors there's little league there's our um, uh, um, little league has expanded all the way up to um, 16 years old now I think mm-hmm. there used to be uh, Babe Roof around I think there's still some Cal Ripken stuff around uh, and we're not trying to get rid of those leagues, but mm-hmm. uh, one of the reasons we don't play Little League Baseball is because, well, two reasons. One is because when you play there, you, the geographic thing is just you're just so confined to a certain district or, or zip code. Mm-hmm. We want to go beyond that to service. And the other thing is, and I know that you know, when, in Little League, you're making that step from 12 years old to 13 years old where you can take a lead or you can pick off runners or you can steal bases. Those things are just not taught well mm-hmm. in Little League. So it's a hard transition to going from a 70-foot basis to the 90-foot basis. So, right, absolutely. Yeah. I forgot that that's what they were all called, Little League and Babe Ruth and Cal right. and yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so just to sort of wrap up, I mean, we're, we're putting this out opening day. You grew up in South Carolina. Yes. Played for the Pirates, Tigers, Dodgers, Reds. Yes, yeah, sir. So who's your baseball? Yeah, fan? who are you going for? Who do you, who do you follow? Uh, I'm a baseball kind of sore. I like them all. Yeah. <laughs> but if I had to make a choice, I would have to say the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. wearing a Pirates hat right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I went to I went I was friends in high school with Corey Seager, who was the yeah. shortstop for, until he, well, now he plays for. Texas, but mm-hmm. well, you remember you asked me that question about um, when I was in college and the guy that was a scout. Mm-hmm, right, he, he was the guy that drafted Corey Seager. Oh, oh wow. really? Yeah, my, my <laughs> college coach was the guy that drafted Corey Seager. It's so funny how much smaller the world gets because we have two silent partners, and we were talking to them a couple years ago, and I was telling them about Corey, and he pulled out his phone. And he has a picture of his two kids with Corey when wow. they went to go see a Dodgers game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, um, Corey. I was talking to you the first time I met you as a Red Sox fan. You said you were friends with Ellis Burks. Yes. That's a name I remember from one of my it's one of my earliest rosters I remember yes. on the Red Sox. Yeah, he's uh he's a really cool guy. Mm-hmm. Um I had some information on him where I wanted him to come here and, and do some things, but um I lost it, so I have to mm. have to find him some kind of way. That's where 
That's where Facebook comes in so handy. Well, hopefully Ellis Forget Burks the Red is a Sox. Newshounds listener. Let's get Jeter in here. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know what? We're trying to do that, actually. Oh, oh well, let us sick. know first, right. please. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, want to go. We'd love to have that scoop. Let me say this real quick. Yeah. Um, I, work, I work with the um, Charlotte Touchdown Club, and they bring in Hall of Famers. <coughs> On the baseball side, they come to me and ask me, who can I get to come in? So this year we're bringing in uh, John Smoltz. Mm. Oh, no way. Nice. <coughs> awesome. May the 31st, John Smoltz will be here. And what's that for? Sorry. It's the Charlotte Touchdown Club, but they also bring in some Major League Baseball Oh, players. Touchdown And they club. do, they just like talk to kids or? Yeah, he comes down and he speaks at the uh, Sheraton around mm. lunchtime. On, um, it can be like on a Wednesday or Thursday. That's cool. Nice. I like that. All right, cool. Well, is there anything we haven't touched on you think is important to mention? you got Carolina Metro Reds opening day this yeah. coming Saturday. Where can uh, people donate to any of the organizations? Definitely. You can go to uh, the Nighthole Foundation of the Carolinas to donate to the Nighthole Foundation, or you can go to metroreds.com to, re- to donate to the Carolinas Metro Reds directly. So. I definitely recommend going out and checking out uh, Carolina Metro Reds opening day. The facilities yes. are amazing. Yes. Stick Williams Dreamfields. What's the address on Tucker CG? 7531 Tucker CG Road. Right. The facilities are great. Um, and I was just telling you off the mic how much I love. There's a flight path <laughs> where the planes are landing, coming straight through center field, coming towards home plate. And yes, it just sir. makes for a cool picture of nothing else. Yes, but it's sir. fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. But um all right, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming in and chatting with us. Thank it's been you guys very enjoyable, yeah. and I'll be coming up there to catch some more baseball throughout the summer. But uh, You guys got caught blunt. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon, Mars. I thank yes, you. Sir. Thank, thank you, sir. Cheers. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.